everybody welcome to another episode of the mainline podcast this podcast along with all of our other main episodes are part of northern provisions llc check out the lethal minds journal a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs art and culture take a look at the journal's bulletin from the borderlands a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication for multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more Please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze, educate, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze, educate, or substack, analyze, educate.substack.com. All those links can be found in the show notes below. And so I'm joined again by Northern Provisions today, and uh, we, uh, this is completely unscripted, so we kind of went into this not knowing really what we were going to talk about. We figured we'd just start talking and and get going on a subject so we covered a few things um we talked mostly about the uh the war that's going on between israel and hamas um we talked about you know uh reactions over social media and some of these protests in regards to the war and a lot of the uh for lack of a better term hot takes regarding the conflict overall uh we talked about you know some of the the early history of Zionism and some of the the history between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, and then some of their neighbors as well. You know, looking at all the wars that have gone on, we talked about attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria, and really the lack of deterrence we've seen in that region uh, in the face of those attacks. Yeah. So again, completely unscripted. Um, we just kind of went off the cuff, and that's kind of a normal thing for us to do, as you guys have probably uh come to find out but i really hope you guys enjoy it um we'll probably do this again at some point soon you know just get together unscripted just kind of talk about whatever um give us some feedback you know if you guys like this uh let us know if you don't like it let us know i appreciate any feedback you guys have with that being said we'll head into the episode it probably will be I, this probably won't be too different from what we usually do anyway. This is kind of how they all end up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, boy, a lot has happened, hasn't it? A lot has happened in the past month and a week. Yeah. Yeah. The world's kind of been a shit show. I mean, I guess it's been par for the course for the past, I don't know, three plus years probably. But yeah, it's been yeah, an interesting I, time for sure. So this is um, this is going to be the last time anybody from the Northern Provisions team talks about anything Israel-Palestine related. We are not covering it anymore. We're not going to fucking post about it. If we get a collab from somebody, like a collaboration request, we'll do it. But aside from that, not touching this thing with a fucking 10-foot pole, dude. Um, like, I thought the hot takes in the Russo-Ukraine war were crazy, but, like, the hot takes from this war is, like, I don't, I truly, there, there are times where I, I, I find myself just truly speechless with just the, the sheer, like, insanity of all of this. Um... It has been very interesting like to see here, I'll just start off with this. It's interesting to see who the most passionate people are 
about this. And I don't know like what your experience is, but I feel like from my experience, the most passionate people I see with passionate, to be honest, is an understatement. Like these people realistically are like militant. The most militant people I've seen are ironically like the most removed from the war and like the least affected by it. Yeah, 100%. Um, which is like, like, especially like Americans, um, is like really crazy. Like, I know obviously there's, you know, Israeli Americans or, or Jewish Americans that have, you know, family in, in Israel or, or um, Arab Americans, you know, Palestinian Americans. I completely understand that, but like, even even some of that is like, how many of the, how many of those people even like actually have family there or actually have you know like close friends there you know who are like where we, where we talk are we like just talking about like some fucking like fourth like fifth generation you know jewish american or like palestinian american that doesn't even have like a connection there but they're just like this is kind of like imagine like irishmen who are like fifth generation irish americans like trying to relate to the troubles even though they don't have like any connection to ireland at all you know what i'm saying like not and i know people are going to think i'm like dismissing whatever like i'm just saying i understand like everyone can be like passionate about something or you know feel like your homeland is under attack or whatever the fuck but like to the degree that some you know, I'll put that in asterisk. Some of these people are. I, I truly do wonder, like, how much of a genuine connection they have to that part of the world to be, like, as fucking militant as they are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. And it's, like, it's really for both sides. It's very odd. Um, I think, you know, in, in America, um, I mean, particularly, I mean, I'll just say, you know, particularly if you're, like, a white guy you know what I mean, um, who maybe, like, grew up in a maybe moderate to, like, conservative household, you're just kind of, like, taught to have an opinion on, uh, you know, the Israel, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, whatever you want to call it, like, you're taught to have an opinion um, without really knowing anything about the conflict, and it's it's just weird, and if you deviate from that opinion, um, then you're like you're the worst type of person in the world right you're whatever you you support the genocide of group a or group b you know you're a nazi you're a terrorist blah 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 whatever it's very odd uh and it's it's tiresome it's i I don't blame you for for not wanting to cover it and i mean for like i will still be covering it right i think people uh, I don't think people really understand like our relationship, I guess, um, like technically I'm part of the team, you know what I mean? Cause I, you know, I'm, I do the Northern provisions podcast, right? That's what it is. Um, but I don't, I don't run your page. I don't post on your page. You know, I don't, I don't decide what gets covered on your page. Nothing like that. I really just do my own thing. And that's kind of like the Northern provisions branding on it, but you, you don't tell me what to cover either. Right. Very hands right, on. Right. Exactly. Like that hundred percent. I maybe I should have made that clear just for people listening. Like there are people that are on the Northern provision team that will do their own things. I guess what I'm saying is like, it's not going to be on the main page. Um, so like just to clear up any confusion people might have out there. Um, but you, you're a hundred percent right, man. Like, and this like, 
this is going to kind of, you know, you talking about like all these words are getting thrown around, like segue into buzzwords and catchphrases, dude. Like the amount of people just throwing around, you know, uh, Nazism or like apartheid colonizer, all, all these words. And then like when you make a valid point against somebody and their first reaction is to like result to some sort of crazy ad hominem attack and, and like automatically assume, like, let's say someone, let's say someone who's like pro-Palestinian, um, you know, refers to like Jewish Israelis as colonizers. Right. Yeah. And like a valid argument against that would be, well, actually the Jews are indigenous to the Levant, right. Um, Arabs, as far as, you know, I'm tracking historically, didn't come until like the seventh century during like the early Muslim uh, conquests. So technically the Jews are not colonizers. They're, they're the ones who are indigenous, right? Like that, that is a valid argument. And like, when you make that kind of argument, people automatically then assume that you're some like ultra pro Israeli Zionist, whatever the fuck, like not really. I'm just trying to like, I'm just, pointing out that you're the argument that you're using is just historically and factually wrong that's that's like all i'm trying to do you know and like i'm seeing a lot of people you know we we both have like a lot of people who are talking about a lot of things like they don't know anything about and the really crazy thing to me dude i don't know if you noticed this but like a lot of things that i felt like you know, like the alt-right, quote-unquote, would say a couple months ago are almost, like, now being adopted by, like, ultra-left-leaning people. Yeah, like yeah, the same, the same, like, exact rhetoric. I saw, bro, uh, I saw this like, article, I can't even remember what website it was from. It was from, like, a mainstream one, whether it's, uh, like, opinion piece from Washington Post or one of, one of those mainstream websites. I can't remember, but, um, yeah, it was like a few days ago, right. As this whole thing has been going on. And this person was like, um, actually the GOP is the party of anti-Semitism. It's like, uh, what, like, Dude. if you've, if you've been paying attention to the past month at all, I mean, that's just, that's obviously not true. You know what I mean? Obviously there's uh you could say that there's, uh, some Republicans that are anti-Semites, right. That are, uh, you know, whatever, they just don't like Jews for whatever reason, or maybe they, you know, love the, love Big H or something like that. I don't know. But um, I mean, you can't say the GOP is is the party of anti-Semitism. I mean, you have a lot of Republicans, especially elected ones that like have this undying loyalty to Israel for whatever reason, whether they're like dispensationalist Christians or or something like that. But uh, to say like your run-of-the-mill Republican representative is a is a rabid anti-Semite. It's just like it's complete bullshit. It's not true at all. Yeah, dude. No, it's it's absolutely crazy. And like, again, this is a couple months ago, like no shit. If some like fucking white kid posted like a pay pay frog meme, like these people would be all over this kid, like flies on shit, like dox him, cancel him, ruin his life. Uh, you know, anti-Semitism is the greatest threat to our democracy. Blah, 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 blah. And then, like, now those same people are, like, dead silent, dead quiet when I'm, when I'm watching, like, hundreds of, like, Arab Muslims outside the Australian, um, 
fucking Sydney Opera House. Yeah, when they're saying gas the Jews. Yeah, I bro, was just, I was just about to like, say something about that right now. Yeah. Bro, crazy. And I had and like I made a point that it was extremely underreported. And like again, white progressives were like, what are you talking about? It wasn't underreported. And there was like there was a total of like seven people that were chanting. If you go back to the video, there are hundreds of people there and they are almost all exclusively chanting. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of fucking people calling for the extermination of entire people. But because they're not some white kid, you know, who maybe identifies as somewhere on the right, like they ain't got shit to say about it. And that has been like, even even the slogan like from the river to the sea it implies the removal of an entire group of people like you can't tell me it doesn't right and so yeah exactly exactly and like people when people say that they're like oh no we don't we don't want genocide right we just want like you know we want palestinians want their land back right probably you know pre pre late 1800s right before all these jews started coming over from you know poland and russia and france and you know wherever um but it's like okay well now obviously a lot of time has passed and you have millions of people in this place so if you have a a palestine that's free from the river to the sea what are you going to do with those millions of people because they didn't they didn't just come to this land 20 years ago right at this point they've been here for a couple generations right their grandparents or their great grandparents came over from where else. And now Israel is the only country they have citizenship for. Russia's not going to take them back. Poland's not going to take them back. France, wherever. The Middle East, you have lots of Jews that came from the Middle East, Iraq, Yemen, other places. They're not going back. And that's why Israel, I mean, fights so hard to keep this land. And this is not an argument about, you know, the morality of. You know, every military action uh, Israel has done, right? That's a completely separate conversation. What I am saying, though, is they fight so hard for this land because at this point, they've been here for so long. There's nowhere else for them to go to. Dude, there's no, there's nowhere else. And also, someone, some of these people better start asking questions like, why do none of these other Arab Muslim countries want Palestinians in their country? Yeah, you know, I've I've been seeing a lot of people ask that question, um, and I get it, but you also got to take into account that, you know, some of these countries, especially the neighboring ones, they do have large Palestinian populations. You know, Egypt has a lot of Palestinian refugees. Hell, they controlled the Gaza Strip up until 67, I think, and then Israel took it over in the war. Um, I think that was a six-day war in 67. Half of Jordan's population, actually over half, are Palestinians. And some of those are like indigenous to there, right? When Jordan got, for lack of a better term, created by by the British Empire, you know, post-World War One. But you also have a lot of refugees too. There's also a lot in Lebanon, Syria, and other places. Um, and, you know, I think a reason that these countries don't want to take in more is because they're afraid. Look, you have this population that, I mean, really has been radicalized due to the situation they've been in for decades. And yeah, a lot of countries don't want to import that, right? Any any more than they already have in their Palestinian population. They don't want to deal with that issue. Absolutely not, dude. Absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, there's no, and, you know, and I, I guess like something I've noticed that's pretty fucked up on the other side of the fence is, you know, like, and we can all agree, like, October 7th was, you know, fucking horrific and barbaric, to say the least, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, when you like actually go through the, the videos, the photos, like the reports, everything out of there, like factual evidence backed stuff, it truly is like barbaric. We're talking like mass rape, mass execution, mass, like the most disgusting shit. But at the same time, like you can 100% empathize with Palestinian civilians who are under now constant fucking bombardment from the Israeli military and like thousands of which have absolutely died. Um, and like seeing, I think like a complete lack of empathy then from the other side about these like civilians that are being fucking killed. It's crazy. Like when you're, you know, like when, when some of us are reporting like, Hey, like this is how many like thousands of, of civilians have been killed. You know, people's response is just like, well, fuck around, find out. It's yeah. like, dude, that's, such a crazy and, and like the again like the people saying that are the people who are the most removed from the war it's like and they're also kind of ironically the same people that like are still talking about 9-11 like 22 fucking years later it's like bro you're still bothered by something that happened 22 years ago that killed like a fraction of the people that are dying now it's like if you this was your country, your people being bombed into fucking oblivion, you would be freaking the fuck out. Like, don't sit here and be like, well, fuck around, find out. Like, don't cut yourself on all that edge, bro. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I've seen the people that say that usually have like two arguments, right? And it depends on how you how you argue with them and approach the situation. But you know, they may say, oh, well, you know, Israel does everything they can, everything they can, more so than any other military, even the U.S. military, to uh, reduce the likelihood of civilian casualties, right? But at the same time, hey, Hamas uses human shields and any civilian casualties that happen, it's on them, every single one. But then they also argue, oh, well, they voted in Hamas, so they deserve it. It's like, dude, half the population is under 18 right now. Hamas got elected in 2006 yeah. and then after that they had the palestinian civil war where they brutally killed any opposition you know particularly from the palestinian authority fatah yeah. but you know at this point it's been so long and the amount of people that are under the age of 18 is so large you can't say oh they voted them in so they deserved it i mean what the fuck do you use that do you use that same argument here in the u.s for something bad happens how would you like it if somebody from you know, let's let's say Mexico say, oh, well, you guys have double digit inflation. Um, You guys have all these social issues. Uh, You may be on the brink of civil war coming up. You have all this just social strife going on. But that's what you deserve. You voted for it. So nobody gives a fuck. How would you like it if somebody said that? You probably wouldn't. Right. Or, or I mean, even just like related to now, I mean, like if, you know, Joe Biden is dropping bombs in some, someone's country right now, like, does that mean that someone can just does that mean like Al Qaeda's right and you know flying planes through Twin Towers? Like, well, fuck around, find out, right? Like your foreign policy has killed people. Fuck around, find out, right? Like the same thing applies. And it's like, of course not, right? These people are like, well, that's different. Like, not really. I mean, it's just like you can you can criticize something and disagree with something, or or in this case, like agree with Israel's retaliation, uh, while also just empathizing with like normal people that have nothing to do with anything. It's like if everyone in Palestine is responsible for Hamas being elected, then you're responsible for Joe Biden being elected. Yeah. And I mean, even still using that same argument, like, oh, 
everybody in Palestine, they deserve this. They voted for the men. Like, okay, really? Does the five-year-old kid that just got killed in an airstrike, does he deserve it? Does he deserve it any more than the five-year-old Israeli kid that just got schwacked? Right. Because his great-grandparents came over from Poland. Does he deserve that? That makes no sense. Well, I mean, according to some people, like they do, right? Because there's there's also there's also the the uh, counter narrative, which is like Hamas and their actions is uh, is uh, what do they say? Like oppression ha- leads to resistance, and it was like an act of resistance or something like that. It's like, bro, what the fuck? And this is again, this is like he's like Americans saying this shit, like, oh, Hamas, you know what what they did was just uh. It was like a cry of resistance or something. I'm like, bro, you guys are so like what like the rape of women, like the execution of children, um, the desolation of towns, like all that's just completely justified as long as it's under the guise of fighting quote unquote oppression. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's like, what would what would you think if you were in the shoes of somebody in Israel? You know, and you still think, you know, maybe we need we need peace with the Palestinians, right? They have legitimate grievances. Um, anything anything they do to act against Israel is justified up into including the killing of civilians. I mean, that's that's not going to uh that's not gonna keep you out of their crosshairs, you know what I mean? They get they killed anybody and everybody or or took hostages, right? that they could find. And it, it didn't matter if you were Jewish or not. I mean, they took people from Thailand and the Philippines who were there on contract work. Uh, they they got nothing to do with the situation going on, but they were still targets all the same. There's yeah. no, there's no, um, they just, they targeted whoever, you know what I mean? You're, you're not safe. Any, anybody. No. And like, speaking of not being safe, like what's up with like fucking like liberals in America supporting all of a sudden like religious fundamentalists and like religious extremists like weren't these people like so concerned with you know christian nationalism and you know oh my god like the christian right and now now it's like they're supporting an islamo-fascist organization that's hell-bent on like preserving its fundamentalist way of life i mean it's kind of like Kind of like how they were like low key shilling for the Taliban in the Afghan war. And then when they realized like that's bad news for everyone who's not the majority ethnic group and ultra religious, they're like, oh, I guess that's like not good. It's like, yeah, no shit, Brittany. Like, well, welcome to <laughs> like the fucking real world outside of like your gender studies degree. Yeah, I would definitely. I would definitely need to do like some more research on it because, uh, you know, Martin made, he kind of talks about this in his uh, podcast series. I think it was Who's America? That's like his most recent one. And he kind of goes into how these, you know, movements, um, particularly like the Palestinian movement against Israel was kind of co-opted by the wider global left, right? Especially in the late 60s, in the early 70s, you know, it didn't matter that uh, some of these Palestinian armed groups were like religious fundamentalists, right? They weren't just Palestinian nationalists. No, this is also about religion too. Um, and it was just very odd because they were co-opted by the global left for some reason, because it's like the religious part of it didn't really matter. The only thing that mattered was uh, the perceived oppressed going after the perceived oppressor. And, and nothing else was taken into consideration, right? That's the only thing that mattered. 
Yeah, absolutely. And not at all saying that like you can't be whatever, like a member of the LGBTQ community and support like a free Palestine. Like I'm not saying that. It's just there's a line in there somewhere and I'm seeing a lot of people cross that line. And that I think is like what concerns me is like there's because I know people are like, well, you you just because you're gay doesn't mean you can't support like normal Palestinians. I'm like, I'm not saying that, but like there's people that are there's like I'm watching like trans people like chill for Hamas and I'm just kind of confused by it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, obviously, obviously you can empathize with the Palestinian people and want for them to, you know, not live in an open air prison surrounded by remote controlled machine guns. But uh, it doesn't really make sense for you to be all pro Hamas, which, you know, some people were. They said, hey, you know, Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, they're freedom fighters, right? They did nothing wrong. Well, okay, yeah, they wouldn't like you too much. Okay, and you could be, quote unquote, pro-Palestine without being pro-Hamas or pro-PIJ. Because, yeah, you would get thrown off a roof if (laughs) they came knocking at your door. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. And also, like, enjoy the free speech while you have it, because you probably wouldn't have that either, um, as a woman, especially. Yeah, you know what's um, funny, man? I have a, I know this, this girl, um, she's actually, she's my buddy's co-worker, and she, I don't know, she's Palestinian. Um, I know her parents are from, from somewhere in the region. I don't know if she's, like, particularly Muslim, but I know her family is. Um, and she's like super, super pro-Palestine, right? But like to the point where she's like, okay, yeah, Hamas, PIJ, they're freedom fighters, right? And it's like, she she doesn't, you know, wear a hijab or a burqa or anything like that. Uh, she dates a secular white dude. Um, and she just, the reason I say I don't know if she's Muslim or not is because the way she acts leads me to believe that at the very least, she's not devout. And if she were to act in the same way in the Casa Strip, uh, she wouldn't really have a great time because a lot of the things she engages in are frowned upon, to say the least. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you and I have both been to places where, like, we've seen what comes with, like, Islamic fundamentalism, and it's not what these people enjoy on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, well, ask, ask the women in Afghanistan how they like it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, exactly. Let me know how that works out. And I mean, here's here's like another thing too, man. Is I know people will refer to Hamas as like blowback, and there is some truth to that. Like there, there obviously is truth to Hamas. Like you know, is I think it was a uh, early, early like Israeli funding of Hamas to counter um, the PLO, right? And like, okay, like completely get that. Like there, there is some truth to that, but that's also not the end all be all, right? Like, it's not like these people were literally created by Mossad. They may have been like financed somehow or supported in some way, shape or form that maybe helped them to get larger, but that doesn't mean the entire creation and the entire organization and entity as itself is a, is a creation of them, right? Like, those are ideologies that already exist. There, there are people that already exist. Like these are things that would inherently happen regardless of whatever. Like you see what I'm saying? Like it's just used as a cop out as if like this thing would have never existed if it weren't for Israel. It's like, this is not true. It's not true. Yeah. I mean, I think Hamas, um, 
you know, Hamas, I guess, being created, right, coming about is, given the circumstances in the area, is natural, I guess you could say, especially when you have, you know, back during the colonial time in British Mandate Palestine, I mean, the British specific, like, purposefully fomented religious tensions, right, because they wanted, they wanted Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims to go at each other's throats, right? Because that's how they could control the population. If the Palestinians were united, that would be a bigger issue. But if you have them at each other's throats, then okay, maybe you have to worry about them a little less. And then not only do you have that, but you have, I mean, you do have decades of, um, you know, Jews in British Mandate, Palestine, or Israelis now, armed groups, I mean, literally doing terrorist attacks, all the time. I mean, that's where Hamas learned the vast majority of these tactics and other armed groups as well, you know, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the PLA, you name it, you know, basically other than suicide bombings, they learned most of these tactics from the Israeli armed groups, the Haganah, the Stern Gang, um, Beitar, you know, and the other groups that, you know, Martyr made particularly talked about in his, uh, his series. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of natural, right? When you deal with that, you deal with hundreds of thousands of Palestinians, you know, regardless of religion being driven from their homes, you know, the men killed just for just for the reason that they were men and that they're Palestinian. Um, Hamas coming about, given these conditions, is it's natural. You know what I mean? At this point, you have people living in refugee camps that that were born there. Right. Their grandparents came to these refugee camps and established it. And now their families are still there. And uh, obviously you could talk about this forever. Right. It's a pretty big conversation, um, but that's, yeah, that's just my piece on it. I mean, it is kind of natural given those circumstances and other circumstances as well that I didn't talk about. Again, you could have that conversation forever, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you've mentioned the, the podcast a couple of times now, like whoever's listening to this, like you should definitely go read, or I'm sorry, listen to the Martin Made podcast. Um, I forget the dude's name, but he breaks it down so well, like. It was a two, I think it was like two podcast episodes and like fucking three hours long. No, it's that. So it's, it's Daryl Cooper. And I think he has six episodes and it's maybe like 26 to 30 hours total. Yeah. Yeah. But like the one specifically related to uh, Israel, right? There's like two of them. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like the ones related to Israel are like crazy long, but it, he does probably like, the best job I've ever seen anyone do breaking down like the formation of Israel, like my, the current state Israel and like just the fucking chaos that ensued, especially like you said, under like British control um, before the Brits like bounced out. I remember him talking about, I think like some Zionists were like, they hung and burned like British soldiers that they had like kept like, it was crazy shit. Like, so nobody is you know i'm sure we'll get canceled for this but like nobody's really innocent when it comes to like this land and the blood that's been spilled over this land you know what i mean and yeah no 100 at this point so so much time has gone by and there's been so many i mean for lack of a better term crimes against humanity committed by all sides that you can't point to one person and say that's the bad guy 100 you just can't do it I mean, you did you did have um, these Jewish armed groups before Israel gained its independence in forty eight that that did commit terrorist attacks again against Palestinians, but against the British as well. Because after World War Two, 
you know, the British, the British promised um, the Zionist movement that they would have a Jewish state after World War One, right, for help defeating uh, the Ottoman Empire. And right. by the point, you know, post World War Two came around, um, the Jewish armed groups, particularly, you know, the Reform Zionists and such like that. I mean, they had had enough of the British presence, right? They wanted independence, and they wanted they wanted it now. Again, this is right after the Holocaust, right? So it's like, okay, like we're tired of the shit. You know what I mean? You promised us a state, we're going to get it one way or another. So they did commit a lot of attacks against British troops, right? I mean, executing them, uh, you know, hanging them, torturing them. Uh, you know, I know there was like instances of them being flogged. You also had the bombing at the King David Hotel, which is probably the most significant attack. Um, and that's really what contributed to the British just washing their hands of the whole situation. But again, to my point, you know, there's there's been so much violence committed against innocent people and and parties that were otherwise otherwise you know not involved in the in the belligerence that you can't point to one person and say that's the bad guy right yeah and like to, to your point you know like this goes back a while right it was um 1917 actually when uh it's called the balfour declaration came out it was like a public statement essentially issued by you know the british um uh, declaration actually like sent to fucking Lord Rothschild, um, who was like the leader of of uh, or one of the top leaders of like you know the kind of British Jewish community at the time, and um, it was essentially for transmission to like you know the Zionist Federation of Great Britain and Ireland, and they were there's their way of being like yeah like due to like our ongoing war with the Ottoman Empire, like we are kind of reimagining the future of Palestine um and like we will turn it into or we will have like we will create a home for the jews uh after we you know defeat the ottoman empire and i don't like i don't know how um maybe someone wiser than me can explain it but i don't really understand how this even remotely came into like the topic of why this was even a thing i know it kind of leads to like the sykes picket agreement right um but it seems like it's just kind of a weird thing that this was such an important decision made, kind of so... being the the Balfour Declaration. Yeah, it's like what was the reasoning behind that? You know what I'm saying? It's just kind yeah. of like a weird thing. So I mean, if you know, if I if I remember correctly, um, and anybody could you know correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, this is mid World War. World War One, I, I almost said World War Two. No, World War One, and it's it's not going well for uh for the French and the British particularly, right? And they're, I mean, it's it's looking like they're losing, you know, especially in 1917. Um, and they they desperately desperately needed to win, right? And the British were relying on, I mean, each side was relying on artillery shells, right? Obviously, that was a big part of the war. Um, and I think for some reason there was there was a shortage of shells or they just they couldn't make as much as they needed. And then you have Han Weizmann, who was in the UK at the time, and I think he was a chemist or something like that. And he was able to produce this chemical that was like crucial in the making of artillery shells. And 
in return for him working for the British government and helping to produce these artillery shells that they desperately needed because it was looking like they would lose the war. Um, they agreed to work with the Zionist organization, right? And that's eventually how you get the Balfour Declaration. And the British made other, uh, you know, other agreements that contradicted each other, right? You have the Sykes-Picot Agreement with France, right? And then you have this agreement with the Arabs in the region, you know, particularly the Hashemites who came from what is now Saudi Arabia. And in exchange for them helping to defeat the Ottoman Empire, um, they would get control over, you know, the land that is, that was, you know, Palestine, and they would get Syria and Lebanon and, and what is now Jordan as well. But that that's, that's how you get a situation and where all these competing, uh, all these conflicting, I should say, agreements are made with three separate parties that just like, they could not all be carried out, right? Um, but the British def desperately needed to win and they, they didn't really care uh, what agreements, you know, contradict each contradicted each other excuse me or not that's so that's interesting because i didn't even know um i didn't even know that that was like part of the reason why was this this chemist essentially for like artillery shells like i had no idea why so it was essentially you know for lack of better terms like hey if you want us to which is kind of like fucked up if you think about it because i'm assuming these were like british jews who um were, were gonna help them right yeah, so I actually, I looked it up, and so he came up with a process to produce acetone, which was crucial in the manufacture of, uh, you know, cordite explosive propellants, and so that's that's why his work was so crucial for the production of artillery shells and the British war effort overall, and again, that's how further down the line, you get the Balfour Declaration, because he, he was a Zionist, right? He was, like, from this you know, uh, late 1800s Zionist stock. Um, and he wanted a Jewish state and he wanted it to be in the Holy Land. He was actually, uh, he was actually the, the first president of Israel and he was actually pretty big uh, in the Zionist movement overall. He was a president of the Zionist organization for a long time. And he was really only uh, taken down a peg by uh, David Ben-Gurion, who was the first prime minister of Israel. Yeah, it's that's a, yeah, it's a different conversation. It. Like, kind of, I mean, because, like, even though they're Jews, like, they're, you know, they were born in Britain, like, their loyalty should be to Britain, so it's kind of, like, fucked up, like, they're those people specifically, not saying, like, in general, British Jews, but, like, those people specifically were essentially being like, yeah, you want me to help my country win the war, then you need to give my people home. Like, shouldn't your first priority just be like, you want to help your country because you want to help your country win? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, the reason the reason you get the modern Zionist movement, which I believe is actually founded by uh, Theodore Herzl, who is an Austrian Jew. Um, I mean, anti-Semitism was very, very common in Europe. You know, a lot of people think that... Uh, the H man came around in the thirties and he's the one that like invented this rabid anti-Semitism in Europe. Right. And it all started with him. I mean, that was not the case at all. You know, a lot of the things that Hitler believed, a lot of other Europeans believe too. Hitler just, uh, he acted on it right in a different way from other people, but it's very common. I mean, even Winston Churchill believed, you know, a good portion of the things about Jews that Hitler did. 
Um, you know, obviously they went about it different ways, but these these were not common. And, you know, it, it gets to the point where these Jews in Europe are, they're just tired of it, man. They're tired of being treated like shit. They're trying, in some places they're trying to assimilate, you know, particularly France, Germany, UK, they're trying to assimilate into these societies, but they just keep being shown that, hey, like we are the others, right? They, they don't look at us as Brits. They don't look at us as the French or Germans. We're, we're Jews. And that's all they look at us as. And we need we need our own home to to stop this bad shit from happening to us, right? I mean, particularly looking at Poland and the Russian Empire at the time, but then you also had the, uh, what was it, the Dreyfus Affair in France, right, where you had this Jewish-French military officer who was basically framed for treason. Everybody knew he was innocent, but they still prosecuted anyway because they're like, hey, we need to prosecute somebody, and he's a Jew, so who gives a fuck, right? And that is actually a good part of what drove Theodore Herzl to being uh, the father of the modern Zionist movement anyway, because he was in France at the time, even though he was Austrian. I think he was a journalist. And he saw that, and that opened his eyes to, they're never going to let us assimilate. And he was a secular Jew, right? He wasn't particularly religious. He he thought of himself as, as Austrian. They're never going to let us assimilate. So we need our own home because this shit cannot keep going on. It's never going to end for us. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, if that's like, that's your only way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, people don't realize, I think like Hitler was not like the first guy to talk about this stuff. Um, you know, a lot of those things have been around for a long time. So it kind of makes sense. I guess, you know, it's like, you know, from their perspective, I guess just like from our perspective, it's like, that's kind of fucked up. You wouldn't put Britain first, but you know, just on like goodness to Britain, I guess. But, you know, at the same time, like if you have genuine fears of eradication in Europe, then I guess this was your your opportunity to fucking get the fuck out of there. Yeah, I mean, just just imagine it in America, you know, you take a, let's say you're, you know, a Kurd in America, right? They don't have their own nation state, right? There's no, there's no independent Kurdistan. Let's say you have a group of Kurds that had been here for, let's just say, 300 years, right? And they're never given a chance to assimilate. They're blamed for everything, right? Something goes wrong, they're immediately blamed. Uh, You know, American citizens go into their villages, rape the women, you know, kill the men just because they need somebody to blame, right? And this shit just keeps going on and on for 300 years. And they're given no chance to assimilate, even the secular ones who aren't, you know, religious, they think of themselves as Americans, but nobody else does. And it gets to the point where they're like, fuck, we, we need our own home. This cannot keep going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, fast fast forward and here we are today. I mean, you know, how, how do you see, you know, all this, all this bullshit aside? Like, I, I think it's crazy that this is probably one of the most divisive topics and today's like current American socio-political sphere. I mean, it's also led to like flagrant anti-Semitism, flagrant, you know, Islamophobia. Like, was that like a little kid, a little like Palestinian kid was like killed in like Minnesota or some shit by uh, yeah. his landlord? And then you have like, you know, targeted attacks against uh, American Jews. I mean, this is like easily way more divisive than 
you know the Russo-Ukraine war. I mean, like, where where does this shit end? Like, does it? Are are we just? Is it this topic, or is this country just continuing to like degrade in terms of its, you know, social and political alliances? I mean, it just seems like fucking insane to me that like people are this at each other's throats over it. You know? Yeah, I think I think two things that definitely contribute to this being so like divisive, you know, particularly in, in the West here in the US and elsewhere is, I mean, first off, I'll just speak for America, right? A lot of, you know, like I was saying, particularly white Americans were just taught to really just support Israel uh, for no particular reason, right? You don't need to know anything about the conflict. You just support Israel. And there's multiple reasons for that, right? Again, you have like dispensationalist Christians, and then you just, there's multiple reasons, right? But that that is like kind of the general consensus is you're just you're taught to support israel there are ally don't question it you don't need to know anything about the conflict that's it right but then when you have you know when you have people immigrating to the country that like really have no stake in this right obviously you have people coming from the middle east which which do which do have a stake in it right and they have a differing opinion from from most most uh americans most white americans and then you have people coming from other areas that that do have no stake in it right from like latin america they're like why do i give a fuck about this you know what i mean that's that's why you get differing opinions and then on the other point i think definitely contributing to it is social media right the the rapid flow of of information yeah social media i mean it was, it was really interesting to see even like barack obama in that interview be like yeah we have to stop with like tiktok activism like when, when he said that i was like you know it's bad when barack obama whose administration honestly really is responsible for the over politicization of like the youth one and reaching the youth like politics wise through social media like his administration pioneered the fuck out of that. Yeah. Um, like 2008, 2009. Like I remember kids in my high school jumping on, you remember like Coney 2012, mm. whatever it was. Dude, I remember like kids hopping on that. I remember um, the Syrian revolution. There were kids like, cause the Democrat idea was like, Hey, like we got to support this revolution. Cause it's against like freedom and democracy. And like, fucking like kids in america and like high schools were like yeah like gotta support this revolution dude you know it's like his administration really kind of engineered the you know politicization of social media and like getting the youth involved so it's like you know when that dude says this probably isn't a good idea shit's gotten really bad yeah yeah his case comments on this issue have been uh uh interesting for sure yeah it's a good word for his interesting this <laughs> whole thing's been interesting yeah it is dude i mean it's it's very interesting to see like the divide that's been created in the uh, american left now because you have mm-hmm. almost you know these these um kind of like left like liberal jewish politicians um find themselves completely or I guess like more so their constituents find themselves completely detached from them now because 
of this topic, like very, very ultra left-leaning uh, Jewish liberals, you know, supporting Israel. Um, and their constituents are like, what the fuck, you know? And um, I mean, all of them, like Bernie Sanders saying that like, a ceasefire is probably not going to be reasonable or possible in Gaza. I'm like, yeah. what is happening yeah. right now? This is Bernie fucking Sanders. Yeah, and I know I I remember uh, we we're in a we we're in a group chat, both of us, and I was talking to uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours who's who's Jewish, and he is uh, he is on the left, and he was saying, uh, you know, I I can't believe how many people that like I look at now and like, shit, like you actually want me to die. Like you actually, like you actually do hate me because I'm Jewish. And these are people that like, I thought I was cool with, you know? And I told him that you have some, you have some groups in particular in, you know, the wider leftist side of the aisle here in the U S and in the West in general, that have been pretty vocal about their, their dislike for, Jews and I will say dislike for Jews because they equate equate all Jews with Israel. I mean Israel kind of does the same thing, right? They say, oh, you know, we're the country for all Jews. So it's kind of things happening with both sides. But these people equate all Jews with Israel. And that's why they say, you know, we they're very vocal about their dislike for Jews. And they they've been vocal about this for decades. Again, going back to the late 60s, early 70s, when they co-opted this uh, you know, pro-Palestinian movement. And now people are starting to wake up to it. Again, this is, if you were paying attention, this has been the way things have been trending for a while now. And I think a lot of people, a lot of, I'll say liberal leaning Jews here in the U.S. just didn't really want to come to terms with that. Maybe, maybe they weren't paying attention or maybe they just, you know, kind of brushed it aside as, and eh, whatever, you know, they're just saying that, but, you know, here we are today. I think a lot of them are waking up and seeing that they're not, uh, they're not well-liked amongst some other groups in the, the wider left side of the aisle. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, so this is kind of, this is kind of like an interesting thing we could get into. Maybe you don't want to like, if you think it's too, you know what? Let's not even get into it. We'll 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 talk offline. But um, where do you where do you see this ending? Because like I don't think anybody's going to. I don't really see like the United States supporting a ceasefire. Israel seems like they're just gonna keep going. They're just like fuck it. We're taking the whole thing, baby, and. You know, I think the U.S. has has just recently condemned the um, settler attacks in in the West Bank, which is good. But like, again, West Bank is an entirely different issue, right, than Gaza. So it's like good that they did that, but also, how how do we, how do we stop like what's going on right now? Like, I know I know people say, well, you can't do a ceasefire because then you allow Hamas to regroup. But at the same time. If we know anything about counterinsurgency and counterterrorism, like you, 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 it's you're never, it's never going to completely go away. Like you're, you could degrade it to a certain extent, but like these ideologies, Al Qaeda, ISIS, fucking whatever, like 
they never go away because you can't really kill ideology. And so I wonder, like, where's this end? Is Israel killing, or essentially is Israel creating more terrorists by their bombing campaign than they are actually killing them, right? Like, is this just going to, is it going to decimate, which, like, the historic fucking move of, of like, Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, like, acknowledging Israel's existence? Is it going to decimate that? And then set Israel up for failure and worse attacks in the future because they're just like creating a generation of of terrorists essentially who are going to grow up without dads and be like fuck you you took my little sister and my dad yeah exactly I mean short answer uh yes yes it, it will it will obviously create more militants I mean again the reason you have groups like Hamas PIJ PLO today is because those are kids that grew up listening to stories from their grandma talk about how she was driven from her home just because she was Palestinian. Her brother, her uncle, her dad were killed just because they were Palestinian. And and you listen to that growing up. And then by the time you become a military age male and you see that this stuff is still happening, I mean, you're probably going to be pretty pissed off and you're probably going to want to do something about it, right? So a, a short short answer, yes, this will obviously create more militants, right? I mean, it's just, it's it's a no-brainer. And I think that kind of speaks to the way that Israel in particular goes about counterinsurgency, you know, um, looking at, looking at like what we did in Iraq, you know, particularly Ramadi, I mean, you want to win over the population in a counterinsurgency, right? You, you can't just go around killing everybody and expect the insurgency to, to just go away eventually. I mean, obviously that's not how it works, right? We had to win over the hearts and minds of people. We need to, we needed them to be confident in the fact that we could give them security, right? And obviously there's plenty of other things you need to do, but that's definitely the base of it. Um, but Israel doesn't really go about it that way. You know, there was a mayor of Jerusalem and I can't remember what his name is, but he was asked by, I think it was a reporter and the reporter asked, you know, well, what, what do you think should be done? about the Palestinian problem. And it's paraphrasing, but he said, you know, problem. We don't have a problem. Problems have solutions. There's no, yeah. there's no solving this. We have a condition. And conditions, they pop up every now and again, and you do what they can until the symptoms go away, and then they'll pop back up eventually again. And I think that that kind of speaks to how they go about this, right? Hamas does something stupid every four years or not four years, every few years, right? And drop some bombs on them, send in the infantry if we have to, accomplish the objective, pull out, and then kind of just wait for them to do something again. And this this is just this cycle that goes on. And you know, not only not only Hamas and the other armed groups in Palestine, right, in Gaza, but you know, same thing happens in the West Bank and the same thing happens with Hezbollah up north in Lebanon. This is this is kind of just how things historically have gone about. And I, I don't see a change in that. No, definitely not, man. Definitely not. And I mean I think I think I knew everything I or I found out everything I needed to know about Israel's ground op when I don't know if you remember um it was General Glenn went to like be their advisor. Uh, you know, yeah, General, it was a former uh, former Marsoc guy, right? I think so. Um, I think so, but I know he was over like the 2017 push in Mosul, 
Yeah. So like, uh, you know, the fucking ISFs um, fight against ISIS and Mosul, and then also early uh, OIF Fallujah. So very, you know, he's seen essentially like lessons learned from both sides, positive, negatives, like things to do, things not to do from urban counterinsurgency. And <laughs> he, they send him there to be like their, the advisor for them for that was only there for like three days um sent them back sent them back and then the commandant made a statement about it and said something along the lines of like make no mistake any decision made by israel from here on out is like an entirely israeli decision and i knew like right then and there that israel was like glenn showed up and was like hey maybe we should do it this way and they were like go fuck yourself is pretty much like how that went they're like no like we're actually don't fucking care like you can go home now yeah 100 percent. i mean they don't want to be told how to do things right i mean from their perspective they've been dealing with this for decades right again there's been multiple wars with all these groups hamas pij hezbollah name it right and especially in the aftermath of the attack on october 7th when they had 1200 people being slaughtered i mean they're probably like yeah we don't we don't want to hear how to do anything from anybody like shut up we're gonna we're gonna do things how we want to we don't need to be lectured by anybody because this is our problem which is you know it's it's definitely it's unfortunate i'd say i mean that's ideally not how you want to go about things right i mean you should take all the advice you could get especially from the dude that oversaw the push in the mosul in 2017 which was at at that point you know one of the worst urban assaults uh since vietnam yeah probably the worst i think you know a lot of people uh don't understand just how bad the battle of mosul was that year but anyway ideally you want to take all the advice you can and all the help you can But at the same time, when right after you go through this attack, which killed so many people, um, I mean, you're probably letting emotion make a a little bit of your decisions, right? And you're thinking, I I don't dictate what to do or don't dictate to me what to do. Don't lecture me. Yeah, I'm going to do things how I want to. Which, you know, okay, but... At the same time, like when it's not ideal, but it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get it. It's just, you know, it's probably going to be problematic for them in the future. But yeah, no, one hundred percent. They're big boys. They're making a big boy decision. So I will say, um, something else we could we could talk about is the fucking. Uh, like the continuous attacks against U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. So there's been a total of like, I think, 70 individual rockets and and drones uh, who essentially like they've... Jesus, dude. Sorry, I just like completely flatlined my head. Nothing made sense, but... No, I um, mean, you've you've had at least 60 total attacks. And an attack, one attack is just... I mean, it's one incident, right? But you, a lot of these attacks, you have, you know, a couple suicide drones or a few rockets, right? 
So it's not just, you know, 60 rockets or drones, it's 60 incidents at least. And now is that number came out a few days ago. So I'm sure it's been more since then. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we like just hit 70 um, today from, from the recent attack uh, rocket attack against Al-Assad air base. And so, you know, we, we have these attacks that have led to at least 59 U.S. troops being injured, the majority of which were TBIs um, and some other what the Pentagon called minor injuries, which yeah. I guess you could that could be fucking whatever, anything. But we have not really seen any sort of like solid retaliatory measures on our part. Like they did, I know they did a couple airstrikes against like a training camp. Um, a couple of, like warehouses, a safe house, like allegedly killed maybe up to eight Iranian-backed proxy fighters in in Iraq and Syria. But truly, for seventy plus attacks and fifty nine plus Americans wounded, it's really not much of a response. Like we really have not had a big response in the region to this at all. Seems like they've almost downplayed it. Like. They're saying, well, these are small scale attacks. I mean, 59 people, that's not really small scale. <laughs> yeah, I, the response has been incredibly weak. Actually, uh, I just did a podcast with a few of the Bolton guys on this a few days ago. Um, and there's no real deterrence, obviously. You know, we sent two aircraft carrier strike groups to the region, we sent a MU and an amphibious readiness group to the region and, you know, other assets as well to include, uh, you know, fighter jet squadrons and, and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it just didn't do it. Right. Obviously that didn't deter anything. There's been at least 60 incidents overall. And what these attacks began, I want to say October 17th was the first one. It's a 20th and we've had at least 60 separate attacks in Iraq and Syria. And, Obviously, these little airstrikes that we do to respond, which there's only been three of them, are not doing the trick, right? The third one, I think, uh, killed, you know, between like six and seven uh, militants. But the other two, I don't I don't think killed anybody. We just targeted, you know, weapon storage facilities, which, yeah. okay, yeah, big fucking deal. Uh, what, what's that going to do? <laughs> you get weapons from, from somewhere else. I mean, you could probably... Uh, you, you know, you can't even walk five feet in that region without coming across an AK. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like um, I don't know what the fucking goal is there. But yeah, I mean the the responses are they're just not working. Obviously, they're not deterring attacks. And then there's also you know a good question, and we talked about this on the podcast the other day. There's a good question as to you know how much, um, how much control and influence Iran is exerting over these militias, right? Because you have multiple, you have the, uh, I think it's the Islamic resistance of Iraq, which is this, you know, new conglomerate of, you know, pre-existing militias. You have the Sons of Jazeera, and then you have another big group. I can't remember, uh, Evan was talking about it. I can't remember the name, but there's, you know, there's a legitimate question as to how much control and influence Iran is exerting over these different groups, right? And they handle all these groups differently right they have different relationships with them and and different uh ways of going about working with them so if you have you know joe biden and kamala harris saying oh oh you know what what's your message to iran don't don't like well that's that's a quote that's all they said is don't one word 
uh, well, you know, obviously they're doing. I don't fucking care that you said don't. And even if you tell Ron don't, that doesn't mean that their proxy militias aren't going to attack you. Yeah, and also, like, you, you mentioned the carrier group. Like, why? I mean, we moved all of these assets to the region, and we're not going to utilize them in retaliatory strikes? Like, what was yeah. the point of you moving them there? Yeah, yeah, that costs a lot of money, right? Um, yeah, the same amount. Maybe they would have brought in like fucking B ones, just to like not do anything with them. Yeah, like, you know, quote unquote, show a force, which that that <laughs> really uh, that really worked, huh? It's yeah, and it's you're, like, you're, dude, you're we have right. we have troops in these region, in this region, excuse me, in Iraq and Syria. And it's like if you're not going to protect them, leave, the leave. Now, I get that we have reasons why we're there right in these countries whether i agree with them or not there's reasons but if you're not going to protect the troops leave you can't rely on seawiz you can't rely on patriot batteries and just say oh well you know patriot shot down a couple rockets so i guess we're good you know we'll just we'll keep seeing how long that works before somebody gets killed no that's not a that's not a strategy right not at all dude you need to strike back i strength is highly valued in this region it's the only language these groups understand in countries too it's the, it's the only language that is universally understood in this region i mean you could argue that kind of globally right i mean you need to be strong but particularly in the middle east and northern africa you need to show strength especially if you are the world's only alleged superpower you need right. to act like it right and that's not saying, you know, go around willy-nilly bombing villages and wedding parties. No, what that is saying is defend your forces. Yeah, if you can't do that, nobody is going to respect you. And that's why you have 60-plus attacks in a month and three days. Yeah, I mean, they're not they're, they're not stopping. You know, you, you, you mentioned it's like you know, these little fucking, you know, retaliatory strikes we're doing. Like, it's not stopping deterring anything they just keep doing it in fact they're probably doing more like it doesn't i don't know man it's not we, like you know i'm not and i'm not saying at all like let's have you know a donald trump style attack of you know blowing up like the head of the higher dc but gotta gotta be more than what we're doing baby gotta, <laughs> we gotta we gotta do better than this this ain't it yeah yeah you know and i i mean you you really didn't see things like this. I'll make the argument. You really didn't see things like this happen uh, under Trump and go unresponded to, right? Trump, whatever you want to say about Trump, the guy was a wild card. I made this argument before. I mean, you you do something stupid and the guy may drop a, a predator missile or sorry, not predator right. missile, a hellfire missile yeah. on your head, right? You just don't know. I mean, yeah. the reason the reason we killed Suleimani, it's not because, oh, we just we got this chance after, you know, whatever, uh, 17, 20 years. We finally got the chance to kill this guy. We could have killed this guy whenever we wanted to. No, right. the reason we schwack some Suleimani is because these dumbass Shia militias in Iraq wanted to fire rockets at us. And then we hit them with drone strikes. And then they decided it would be a good idea to try and storm the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. I think a lot of people forget that for some reason. That they, yeah. that like is what led to Suleimani being killed. That was killing him was our response to that. 
We looked at Kataib Hezbollah and all these other idiots that wanted to storm our embassy. I had a buddy that was deployed there. It was 2-7. It was my old unit that was there at the time, Fox Company. And yeah, that's how we responded. That's Trump, dude. You do something stupid and he may drop a missile on your head. You just don't know. Yeah, and so I mean, am I saying am I saying that we need to have like some sort of Trump-esque response? Not necessarily. I'm sure there's middle ground between there and what we're doing now. What I am saying is that something needs to change. What we are doing right now is not working. And you don't know need to go as far as a Trump-esque response, but you need to find some middle ground. Yeah, you gotta do better than what you're doing, man. But I think you worded it pretty pretty tight, which is um the Middle East, like this is how these people operate, dude. Like they they operate based on strength, you know, they don't care about like soft talk, they don't care about soft language, uh, they don't care about nicety niceties, like they're here to gain control and power, and that's how they view validation of, of ideology is through power. And if you're not willing to, you know, why are you putting guys there if you're not gonna be willing to do what needs to be done to, to defend them and like keep them safe. Um, but also I think it's pretty clear that like the, a lot of the world, especially the middle East views this administration as an extremely weak and has had back to back to back to back to back foreign policy failure. And I think that they're kind of bending on that. Like Iran's not scared because of a reason like these Iranian proxy forces are continuing their attacks because they're not scared like you are not threatening you've blown up a couple buildings and like you said blew up a couple AKs it's like oh big deal right I'm just gonna go next door and get another one and you're that's why the attacks have continued and that they're gonna need to uh, you know I, I, but this is a, this is a very optics based administration they care about how things look uh, not how things are. And I think we're kind of seeing, as we have been for the past three years, seeing what that ends up being like, right? When you have a, people that care more about how shit looks than how shit really is. Yeah, I mean, when you, when Iran has their militias launching rockets and drones at U.S. bases in the region, which has happened before the October 7th attack, right? It was, you know, they didn't take place uh, nearly as often before this, but there has been multiple attacks against U.S. forces in the region since Biden came to office, right? This is not a, a new phenomenon. And when you have that going on with these Iranian proxies, and at the same time, the Biden administration's, I mean, begging, begging to get into another nuclear deal with Iran, that Iran is just going to be able to skirt the provisions of anyway, and then you also give them $6 billion in a prisoner exchange when we allegedly don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, they're going right. to think you're weak. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they just released the money, what, a couple of days ago or something like that? Yeah, I think it is yeah, a month ago, maybe. Well, okay, yeah. so so there was the prisoner exchange in which... Yeah, technically it's their money, right? We just released it, but it was $6 billion. I think it was held uh, held in Qatar, maybe. I can't remember. Uh, it was like $6 billion in oil revenue, right? So it was, yeah, it was their money, right? But they didn't have access to it until we made this prisoner exchange with them. Um, and then a couple of days ago, we signed a waiver um, 
with a rock where no sorry a rock was already buying buying oil from iran so iraq has been buying oil from iran right because they desperately need it uh basically to make sure everybody has power in the country right iran hasn't had access to the revenue from those sales and i think it's like 10 billion dollars in revenue so we uh signed a waiver saying that they could have access to that revenue in exchange for uh God, I can't even remember what it was in exchange for. It might, you know what? It might not have even been in exchange for anything because I think this is like a yearly thing or it's fairly routine because I was talking to those guys uh, from the bulletin the other day and um, Kalisto was saying that this is this is just something that happens and it's really just a case of shitty timing. Yeah. No, no, I definitely get that. I definitely get that, but Certainly doesn't seem like we're really doing anything in the grand scheme to kind of, like, in our terms, hold it to Iran, right? So no, we're not. And you know what? Something something that I just remembered. I mean, we especially look weak when the chief of staff for the deputy deputy secretary of defense for special operations and low intensity conflict is an Iranian agent that has been well reported. And this isn't something that's coming out of, you know, American Patriot News 1776.com or even the Washington Post. I mean, the Senate is well aware of this. And she's been allowed to keep her job. She's been allowed to keep her security clearance. I mean, she's the chief of staff for a top Pentagon official, and she is an Iranian agent. She's been working on behalf of the IRGC and the Iranian Foreign Ministry for years. I'm so confused by that. Why her name? Her name is her last name is uh, Tabatabai. I can't remember the first Ariane. name, but if any, yes, yes, Ariane Tabatabai. If anybody wants to look that up, go ahead and Google it. I'm not making this up. It's unfortunately it's it's very easy to find. Why? So she she's a confirmed active agent, and she's still what fucking allowed to keep her job? Yeah. So I I don't know particularly when the last time she had contact with her handler and the Iranian government was. But she has worked for, I think it's the Iran Experts Initiative. And she worked for this group along with other people. She wasn't the only one. There's a lot of uh, Iranian-American academics that were part of this group. But I think the distinction with her is that she is a top Pentagon staffer. And she worked for this group for years. Oh, my God. And again, the her security clearance was reviewed. It's not under investigation anymore. They reviewed this and they, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to let her keep her security clearance and her job as well. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This is where this is where we are. So, Semper Fidelis. <laughs> yep. And long story short, that's why people think we're weak. That's why. What do you think would happen if a top Iranian defense ministry staffer or an I IRGC Quds Force staffer was found to be working for the U.S. government for years? What do you think would happen to that person? They wouldn't lose <laughs> their security clearance. They wouldn't get laid off. They would get executed. They would get their head chopped off. <laughs> and am I saying you should chop off this woman's head? No, no, I'm not saying that. But I am saying you should at least fire her. Right. And... If you found that she's broken the law, you know, as it uh, comes with being, you know, unregistered foreign agent, then she should get some jail time. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, that's espionage. Well, potentially. Right. Obviously, I'm not a lawyer. Um, oh, my but... God. Yeah, you can't just let her keep her job because that would not that would not happen in Iran or really any other country. Oh man. All right. Well, do you want to wrap this up, man? Yep, yep, that is a good place. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my man, I gotta go like chill out before I go to sleep. <laughs> I know. I know. I always this podcast always ends up being a black pill. Always, whenever we get together, it's probably me. I'm probably the always, always the one that ends it off with being a black pill. But I don't know. Man. The, I feel like the past couple ones I've, I've really, really taken on a tangent, especially the uh, the Afghanistan one. Man, that like, yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> I guess we'll see what the future holds, and we'll see how many more. U.S. troops are, you know, injured before uh, before we start taking this fucking seriously. Yeah, if God knows. I mean, again, those those counts are the the sixty attack that count is is a few days old, and the fifty six injured that that number's at least a week old. So I'm sure it's got to be more than that now. Unfortunately, um, so God, yeah. yeah, God only knows. Um, unfortunately, I don't expect too much to change, but. Um, again, just before we head off here, you you will not be covering uh, the Israel-Hamas war anymore, and I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. Um, I will be. Again, I'm part of the Northern Provisions team, but I, I choose what I cover, and I also feel like somebody on the team's got to cover it, so it might as well be me. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, just to reiterate to everyone, like, there's people on the team who have their own pages who don't have their own pages, but for clarity, the main page um, that we're talking about will will not be covering it. But yeah, you know that's uh, that's all there is to it, guys. Um, obviously, appreciate the support and everything, um, but it's just not something that um, we particularly want to cover anymore, and. That's kind of all there is to it. It's not. It's honestly not even worth getting into. Why? I mean, people. Yeah, already... I mean, there's plenty of other stuff to cover, man. I mean, you you've been doing great work for years. You know, covering. I mean, veterans issues and stuff like that. Stuff that actually affects us, our community. And there's there's plenty of topics to go around in that regard, right? So you you don't need to be covering Israel Palestine because at the end of the day, it really doesn't affect our community a whole lot. Right, I can cover that because I, you know, I do news and I do conflicts and all in all this stuff. But you know, you spend a lot of time covering issues that that actually affect us and actually matter to us as a community. So just keep doing that. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Well, I mean, yeah, I know people are going to speculate on like why we stopped, but <laughs> I don't. Did you did you read some of the comments on on the post we made about why we were going to stop doing it? It's like people were. We're saying like Mossad is like holding us at knife point, saying we can't. Uh... <laughs> Are you serious? Oh yeah, dude. Go 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 check it let out. Me, let me read. Let me read these. Let me read these comments. It's it's really great. Like you know the <laughs> the cabal has like I I got a like <laughs> we we got a phone call from the cabal and they told us like we can't talk about it anymore. Oh, that's amazing. Where's man? Where's the post? I'm trying to find it right now. 
Yeah, you'll see it's the dude. Um, it's actually a picture of a Libyan fighter in the middle of like in the fucking uh intersection. He's like holding up a holding up a rifle. He's got like an axe. What do you remember? What day you posted that? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Actually, well, really? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. The day before, I'll send it to you right now. Oh, okay. I don't know how I missed that. It was right. It was right in front of my face. Uh, our worst too. Understandable. It's pretty fucking toxic. Yeah. Thanks, dude. No kidding. I love that guy. Oh yeah, our worst. Yeah. <laughs> this is a social media equivalent of you kids can't be able to turning the car around. Pretty much, dude. Pretty much. And then this dude's all pissed off because uh, we post about current conflicts, veterans, and American military stories. There's nothing that has to do with Israel military history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, man. Sometimes it's like that. It was a pleasure talking, bro. It really was. And this is, it was good to kind of like get some of this. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. Uh, it was good doing this, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, came on and, at the idea to just kind of just kind of let the words flow always dude always all right brother well let me know when you want to chat again uh we'll figure something out yeah i'm sure we'll do this again soon awesome all right bro good talking to you yep have a good one man all right all right you guys i want to thank you all for supporting this podcast and then listening to it i hope you really enjoyed it again we'll get together at some point soon and do this. Uh, give us some feedback. If you guys like it, you don't like it, let us know. We appreciate anything you guys send our way. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Analyze Educate. That's all one word. We are also on Telegram, same name. Please consider supporting us again, Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze educate, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze educate, or Substack analyzeeducate.substack.com. Again, all those links are in the show notes below. We appreciate all the support you guys send our way and be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well. That is all I have for you guys right now. I'll see you soon.